Um, all right, getting to the sermon now. We are going to look at Psalm 51 today. And just to kind of set it up, years ago, a guy walked up to me after a, a, a sermon, and he said, Pastor, I know what you need to do. And I thought, well, just the way he said it, I was like, all right, here it comes. And he said, you need to preach about sin more. And so I stopped for a second. And I said, okay, we'll just start with yours. <laughs> and he turned around and walked away. So if you know Psalm 51, it, it is about sin. Um, today we are going to talk about sin, um, what it does through the perspective of David. We're also going to talk about um, God's solution for it. So let me read to you now most of Psalm 51. Really hear this with your heart today, okay? And this is King David. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful from birth, from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desire faithfulness even in the womb or in the innermost place. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will treat, teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. O oh God, you who are my God and Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. Let me pray for us. Father God, David is talking about the waters that we all swim in. Um, this is the, the story of a fallen people. And God, I, I just rejoice all week long as I have, just as I, I thought about my own life, um, as I looked back and even didn't have to look too far back to identify with this. God, we thank you that you are the God who delights in forgiving us. Your compassion is so great. And today, I just pray that through your word and by your spirit, that you would break chains in our hearts and minds, that, God, you would set us free, maybe in, in ways that we thought we could never be free. Lord, do it today. We bless you, we love you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, when, um, when I went to seminary back in 1995, um, I went to seminary because I needed it. I really needed it. Um, I had grown up in the church. I'd grown up around the church. And, and yet I had very, very little Bible knowledge um, theologically, I was a blank slate at very best. I had no uh, ministry training whatsoever, so I needed it. Um, so anyway, I'm looking around for seminary, and <clears throat> it didn't take me long to remember that my former youth pastor was 
He was the head of admissions at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. So um, I called up Tim, and I, I started the process with him. And because my grades in college were less than, like, graduate school desirable, um, Tim just said, look, I'll admit you with a warning, and the warning is this. This school is no joke. You're going to have to work hard. You cannot make me look bad because I'm kind of slipping around the provisional, which you ought to be on probation, so you got to work hard. I'm taking a risk. And um, so, so I agreed, and I went to work right away. I was going to move to, um, we were going to move, Jane and I were going to move across country, well, mostly from Indiana, where are you, Morgan, Indianapolis area, to Boston. And so I started researching the school, and I'm like, i got to figure out what I'm getting into. I probably should have done that early on. So anyway, I, I started to get to know the school, and what I realized was that the best professors in the United States, some of them in the world, taught there, okay? Gulp, right? Uh, um, people literally came from around the world to study under these masters. And they led the way, like, in preaching, um, Old Testament, New Testament studies, theological studies. These guys set the standard. And um, so now here is Steve Keller from Eastern North Carolina toting a 2.3 GPA from Appalachian State University. Um, and just so you know, I'll cut to the end. Five years later, after a lot of hard work and a lot of prayer, I graduated right at the top of the class, okay? Thank you. It's so great when you fish for a compliment and you catch a couple, right? So, <laughs> so, but all that's set up uh, for, for a different story that involves a school. I want to tell you about the man who changed our lives. There was one professor who changed the life of every single student at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. And it was not any of the masters. Now, they were awesome. They poured into us. I learned so much from them, grateful for every one of them. But the man who changed our life, the first time I saw him, I was driving up to the administrative building, and I looked over to the tennis courts, and this guy registered. And the reason is, it's not every day you see an 80-year-old playing tennis, you know, 80-year-old playing tennis with 20 to 30-year-olds. So I thought, who is that guy? Um, a, a couple days later, I passed him on the sidewalk and went right when I went by him, he grabbed my arm. And he said, Steve Keller, right? And I said, well, yes, sir. And he goes, I've been praying for you, your wife, Jane, and your two children all summer long. My name is Dr. Christy Wilson, and I look forward to seeing you in class. And as it turned out, what Dr. Wilson did was every time someone got admitted, he got a copy of their, of their application. We had to put a picture there. And from the moment you were admitted at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, that man was praying for you. That man was praying for your family, for your children. And something, I don't know if y'all have ever really decided to pray for somebody, something happens to your heart when you commit to pray for people like that. And so I just ran into this, this great big ball of, of, of love. And I began to suspect right away that this was a man I would never, ever forget. Let me tell you about Dr. Wilson's classes. They were an absolute cakewalk, all right? I don't remember ever taking a test. I don't remember writing one paper. Everybody I talked to about the grade they got in that class, it was always an A, okay? So Dr. Wilson w w was a piece of cake, but, uh, but what he did, though, what he did every class was he told us stories of missionary adventures. 
He would have the whole class take this book called Operation World, and we would literally pray for the nations every single week. Um, he, he also talked to us a lot about what it meant to be a shepherd. And he would say things like, you can go out of here as the most brilliant theologian of all time, but if your heart is not broken before the Lord, if you don't have a burning love for God and other people, you're not worth your degree. It was really something to just sit under this man. His lectures, by the way, they had to hold them in an auditorium because of the size of every single one of his classes. All of his students were there. Um, anybody who had extra time that was, you know, maybe further along in the program, they were there. People from the community came to hear this man. Former students, alumni would, would show up, and there's a reason. And the reason is because while everyone was teaching and training us, Dr. Wilson, he was mentoring us. He was ministering to us. He was shepherding us. So everyone else, okay, all the other professors, they are holding our nose to the grindstone of academic excellence, which they should have been. But Dr. Wilson was ministering the love of God to our hearts. And it changed our lives. You know, Paul talks about this phenomenon. In uh, 1 Corinthians 14, uh, 4, 15, he says this. He says, though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you don't have many spiritual fathers. That's a heavy statement, isn't it? 10,000 guardians in Christ. All over the place in ministry, very few spiritual fathers. Christy Wilson was our spiritual father. Um, he, he, he changed our lives. He made us into spiritual shepherds, and I will never be able to thank him enough. He is with Jesus now. I'm sure he's doing a good work in heaven. I miss him. Um, just writing this really brought some tears to my eyes. But what I want to suggest is that our world needs more spiritual mothers and fathers. You know, there, there is a lost world of orphans out there spiritually, and, and what they need are, are people who will, will help lead them to Jesus, people who will show up in the mess that they're in and the brokenness they're in, and they will just start loving them right there and walk with them toward Christ. I just want to suggest, and I'm not trying to be offensive, that's a whole lot better than Christians who get the cart before the horse. And instead, we're all about, you know, numbers, numbers, numbers. We're hitting budget. We're filling up the place. You know, we, we've, we've got the tightest program you've ever seen. Spiritual mothers and fathers are what this world needs. And I'll tell you, David here in Psalm 51, he really helps us to become spiritual fathers and mothers if we can hear what he says. Spiritual fathers and mothers in a lost world, David really helps a lot here. And what he gives us in Psalm 51, it's not what you think. You know, it's not four years of seminary training. You know, it's, it's not, you know, memorizing the Bible from cover to cover. It's not keeping every single Bible rule and never falling in sin as a child of God. In fact, with that last statement, Paul, uh, David shows us here that it, it's the exact opposite when it comes to sin. He opens with a, a rich spiritual truth. Not every Christian can hear this. I know you can, but he opens with, with a, a, a truth we can't live without. And it's that we, me, you, all of us, we desperately need the mercy and the compassion of God at work in our lives. We need it. 
I'm glad to see some heads nodding. We need it, folks. We desperately need God to cleanse us, to heal us, to restore us, um, to make right what's wrong. We need God to give us new hearts as Christians. I mean, even years down the line after Christ, we need new hearts. I found myself praying this prayer and going, yes, Lord, yeah, that's me. Create in me a clean heart. We need this. And this is called forgiveness. It's, it, it's, it's what happens when we realize what David has realized here. And what David gets, you can't miss it in the Psalms, He's born into a world of sin. God, I am born into a world of sin. And it's not just that I'm surrounded by sinners. God, I'm a sinner. I fall. I break your heart. God, I, 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 my, I, and my sin is destroying me. It's bringing death into my life. And David says it at the end, if you catch it, you know, about the sacrifice. If I could bring one, I would. And what David is saying is, look, I can't schmooze my way out of my sin. You know, I can't religion my way out of sin. But you're the God of compassion. God, you're full of compassion. Unfailing love. It's always there for us. And you can forgive me. But more than that, you want to forgive me. You want to make me whole. You want to set me free. And what I love so much is that this is David who has known God for quite a while. So what he's saying here very clearly is, look, forgiveness is to be, it's an every season thing uh, of life. I mean, it's maybe even an everyday all event uh, thing in my life. You know, I once kind of preached this principle one time and a, a, another guy came up to me after the service, different guy, okay? But he, he came up to me, he goes, you know, Steve, you got it all wrong today. I said, what do you mean? And he said, brother, when I got saved, I moved from sinner to saint. I am forgiven in Christ. I don't even need to ask for forgiveness. And I understand the nuance. You know, I appreciate, you know, that, that's also an identity statement. That's a good thing. But I looked back at it and I said, okay, well, Floyd, are you saying that you never sin anymore? Floyd walked away. Um, but see, David here has known God for a long time, and here he is as a man who knows the Lord, and he's crying out to God. God, I've blown it. God, I'm so wicked. God, I've pushed you aside. I've, I've swept your word uh, aside as well. Please don't cast me out. Please, God, don't take your spirit away. And that's gut-wrenching. I even started to tear up as I said that. But this is actually a very healthy understanding of who we are, the fallenness in our world, our own tendency, you know, to stray. I mean, this, this is an acknowledgement of who we are and what we do. What we as humans do before Christ and what happens sometimes after Christ. I won't ask for a show of hands right now. Um, but, but what I love here is this is not the prayer of a hypocrite, you know? The, the, the person who points out the pornography in another man while inside of his own head and his own heart is a whole harem. You know what I mean? This, this is not that, that Christian who's climbed up on the seat of judgment and they're just judging the world for their sins, ignoring the fact that Jesus says, there's only one, and it's, it's none of you. David here gets that he needs God's unfailing love. He needs God's cleansing. And it's unfailing because he needs God not to give up on him. Have y'all ever prayed that way as Christians? Lord, please don't give up on me. You know, you rewind the tape. I mean, this, this is real stuff. He needs God 
not to take the Holy Spirit away from him. Why? Because he's grieved the Holy Spirit as, as a follower of God. David needs God to restore the joy of his salvation because in his own words, he says, I have sinned against God. I love that David includes verse 16 again. I can't religion my way out of this. Good thing to know. Lord, it's got to be you, he's saying, or I'm dead where I stand. I love that David includes verse 17. God, here I am with my broken spirit and my contrite heart. David is saying, look, I did it, God. I, I own it, and I come to you for forgiveness. And you, Lord, never despise us when we turn to you like that. Every one of us has a scandalous sin in our lives. Every one of us has something we're ashamed of. But listen to him. God, you never despise me when I turn to you like this. That's why Jesus went to the cross, by the way. We got communion coming up, I think, next week. But this is why Jesus went to the cross. That's why the cross is so extreme. It's just showing us the breadth and the width, the, the, the giganticness, the ginormity of God's love for us and God's forgiveness. Is that good news? Is it the best news? Come on, y'all, let's get a river dance. I mean, this is wonderful, right? I mean, this is the greatest thing. And by the way, this is why it's so important for us as Christians in this day and age. There's nothing worse than a guy that comes up with a baseball bat, you know, or, or the, a gigantic Bible. Chris, this wouldn't be you with your big Bible. To club people over the head with their sin. We don't want to do that. But I'll tell you one thing. When you remove sin and the brokenness of our lives and the thing, things that we do and this incredible forgiving work of God, there's no gospel left. And so th this, again, this is really Good stuff for us. David finishes this way. He doesn't finish this way. I'm finishing this way. In verse 13, David says, God, if you'll do this for me, I'll turn around and I'll do this for other people. I will teach them your ways. I will tell them the story of your forgiveness in my life, and I will live my life as a forgiven person forgiving. Let me go back to Dr. Wilson for a minute. Um, Dr. Wilson, Christy Wilson, probably Paul as well. He's probably got some of that in him. But Dr. Dr. Christy Wilson, I'm convinced, was a saint. Um, he was a spiritual hero, but I did see Dr. Wilson blow at one time, okay? Let me tell you what happened. It's okay to laugh during this story. We were in one of these big lectures, and we had a guy in our class named Tom. And Tom slept through every one of Dr. Christy Wilson's classes. Now, there's a reason why Tom slept. He worked the night shift at UPS to earn money so he could sit in that classroom. But every week, Dr. Wilson would open and Tom just, he was gone. So one day, this guy next to me named Rob goes, hey, watch this. Dr. Wilson is in mid-lecture and, and Rob goes, Tom, Tom, Dr. Wilson just asked you to pray for Ethiopia. Tom is dead to the world. He shoots up. And at full volume, a classroom of 200 people, he goes, Dear God, today we pray for Ethiopia. Lord, we just lift up the people. We pray that you would end poverty. So he just goes on and on and then finally sits down and Dr. Wilson just goes, Why, thank you, Tom. I guess we can never have enough prayer for Ethiopia. <laughs> we were, well, Tom wasn't, everybody was laid out because we knew what happened. And uh, Dr. Wilson kept lecturing. Well, here's what happened, though. The next class, Dr. Wilson said, I need to say something. 
And I thought, oh my gosh. I felt like a fourth grader, right? Who had like been you know, playing with chalk or something in class or pulling some girl's hair. I thought, he, we're going to get it. He's going to call us out and he's right to do. So Dr. Wilson just said, I want to apologize to all of you. I want to ask your forgiveness for the anger that I felt in my heart toward Tom when he stood up and prayed. The humility that just, I mean, the, we just were devastated inside and broken. But that's when I knew I was looking at a spiritual giant. You know, not because Dr. Wilson had a PhD, not because he was a personal friend of Billy Graham's and Mother Teresa's, which he was, but, but um, I, I just, I, I knew it, he was, he was a forgiven man. And he was leading us in, in a life of forgiveness. He was calling us to do and to be the same. I'll never forget that moment. I don't know what sins beset you in life. Um, anger, alcoholism, uh, judgment, lust, prejudice, um, what you did, what you didn't do, maybe the hatred you feel for what other people did to you, and that's very real. But I do know this, there is nothing Jesus can't save us from. There's nothing he can't forgive us from when, when we turn to him. Jesus is all about setting people free, and this isn't in the Bible, I, I won't add it, but the principle is the free people, people who have been set free, free other people. That's really who we're called to be and what we're called to be about. I know there's nothing Jesus can't forgive you of in your life. How do I know this? Well, personal experience, okay? I know that, but I also know that because of Psalm 51. Some of you know when this was written, right? Do we have a few head nods? Some of you can look to the title of Psalm 51 and you realize when this was written. This was written right after King David, God's anointed, the man after God's own heart. This is very soon after he used his influence as the king of Israel to seduce a woman, okay? And, and in that context, she would have had very little, you know, she, she was really coerced. And then David had her husband killed. You know, when they went to battle, David had the troops withdraw, and there was Uriah, and he, and he was killed. I mean, it's, in a sense, it's, it's murder. I'm sure you know that sin has consequences. That one did. But God forgave David. God continued to love David. And if you think about it, God is still using David today to help us to walk in the ways of God. That's the power of God's forgiveness. That's the plan he has for our lives. Again, awesome news. Let me pray for us. Oh God, you're so good. And Lord, we just want to take a moment. I don't want to just say it. I want to, I want to pray it for a second here, Lord. But Father, we just want to be like David in this moment and say, God, there, there are broken spirits in this room. There are contrite hearts. And God, some of us are uh, you know, we, we get trapped in this stuff. We, we get very dark. And Lord, the, the cross of Jesus Christ was too big for us to stay in that place. Your love that calls us when we worship like we did today, when we pray and when we hear your word and when we get, get still, Lord, your destiny for us is not for us to be slaves. It's to be free. It's to show this world what forgiveness is all about. 
And God, that means that we have a story of how good you've been to us. And so, so Father, I just pray for anyone who's able to turn right now and needs to and says, Lord, here it is. Hear those conversations I had. Lord, hear those attitudes. Hear those things that I did in darkness. Father, would you forgive me in Jesus' name? Wash me. Make me clean. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. God, you're so good. We bless. We love. We thank you. It is so good to be yours. In Jesus' name, amen.